For those of you who might uh, perhaps not be familiar with me, my name is Amo, and uh, I, together with my wife, um, am one of the deacons here at Grace Covenant Church. And yeah, to be brutally honest, it's always an incredible honor and privilege to be able to share God's word. Uh, I think there are things on earth that one can take for granted. You know, uh, perhaps based on a certain set of skills, you assume, right, I'm best suited to do this thing. Based on a certain look, perhaps, I'm best suited to do this thing. But I believe that the Lord, the Bible says the Lord chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. He uses the things that you don't expect, the people that you don't expect, the people who perhaps from the outside might not reflect what we think is the perfect image of God. And he uses those people specifically, the Bible says, to confound the wise. So I'm extremely excited this morning to be one of those foolish things whom the Lord has chosen to confound the wise this morning. Now, saints, the Lord has placed in my heart, I think over the past few weeks, whether it is in engaging with friends or just in my personal meditation time, the Lord has really been speaking to me about the issue of waiting upon the Lord. The Lord has really been working on me, I think more than anything else, about this issue of waiting upon the Lord. Because I do not care how long a Christian you've been. It does not matter, rather, perhaps I shouldn't say I do not care, that sounds a bit harsh. But it does not matter how long a Christian you've been. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with the, you know, you've walked upon this road with the Lord. The concept of waiting for anything is frustrating. And this morning, I want to speak to three groups of people. Perhaps you're in the first group. And this group is the people who perhaps have been waiting for something from the Lord for a long time. And you're just about to give up. You're just about to throw in the towel. You're just about to say, Lord, I've tried this 101 times. I can't do it any further. The second group of people is the group of people perhaps who've just gone out of a season of waiting. And perhaps you're holding a grudge against the Lord. You know, you're asking the Lord, why did I have to go through that season? Why could you not just instantly, you know, behave like the genie that I think you are? You know, where I just rub this Bible and all my dreams come true immediately. And then the third group of people are perhaps people who, unbeknownst to them, are about to enter into a season of waiting. And the Lord is giving you this word to prepare you for that season, to prepare you for that time. Because waiting, for lack of a better term, sucks. No one wants to wait for anything. You know, I remember growing up, now I'm originally from, from Brits um, in the northwest, just about 40 minutes um, that way, if my geography is correct. And um, it's sad to say that I think the first shopping mall in Brits was built five years ago. So you can imagine that growing up, one of the most traumatic days of the, of the month for me was when my mother woke me up on a Saturday morning and said, we're going shopping today. Because if you think about a mall, a mall is beautiful because everything is consolidated. You can walk from discount to clicks to pick and pay, get in your car and go home. But if you live in a town that doesn't have a mall, it means the bank is here. You sit in the queue for about an hour. And this is before apps and, and the like. So you sit in the queue for about an hour. And then she says, all right, fine, we're going to discount. You walk five or six blocks. And then she says, all right, we've got to go back to the bank. I forgot to transfer. You walk back another 10 blocks. And if, you, if, you've let, you know, if you've left at 8 in the morning, you're probably home at 5, irritated at everyone and everything. Um, and to this day, I must be honest with you, I think my wife can attest, I've got an incredible aversion to shopping. Um, I enjoy the products of, of, of shopping, the clothes and, and everything else, but the process of shopping is not, is not, is not, is not, is not part of you know, what I like to do. Because the process of waiting sucks. I think if you think about another example, if you think, 
I think one of the most, once again, traumatic periods is always the period between writing a final exam and waiting for the results to come out. You know, the, the amount of nightmares that you have during that period is, is, just, is just out of this world. Because waiting is not, is not inherent to our nature. It's not something that we enjoy doing. And I doubt that it's something that our bodies will ever enjoy, enjoy doing. You know, I remember a couple of years ago as well when my wife was, was, was pregnant with, with our daughter. Look, the first six months, you're excited, you're happy, you're jumping up and down, you're reading all of these parenting books. But I kid you not, the last three months, I was just tired. I was just waiting for this kid to pop out. <laughs> it got so bad that every single time my wife coughed, I'd say, is the baby coming? <laughs> you know, if she, if she limps a little bit, I'd ask, are you limping because the baby's coming? You know, because you're just tired of waiting. And if we read quickly in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, this is what the Bible says. It says, so as God's own chosen people who are holy, set apart, sanctified for his purpose and well-beloved by God himself, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and the very last one, patience. So the word of God, whether we like it or not, commands us to be patient. And I think this commandment is well-founded because waiting, unfortunately, is inevitable. There are seasons in your life where you will have to wait. But the beautiful thing about having a relationship with Christ and having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is that our waiting is not like the waiting of the world. It's not a passive waiting. It's not, you know, a waiting that is similar to five-year-old me sitting at the, you know, standard bank queue waiting for my mother to transfer yet another amount. But it is a waiting, the Bible says, upon the Lord. A waiting that is upon the Lord. And that is the most critical element of that, of that sentence. A waiting that is upon the Lord. And that is what I want us to discuss this morning. Amen. Now, if you do not mind, let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter, chapter 115 and verse 3. Psalms, chapter 115 and verse 3. Psalms 115 and verse 3. Now, with the version that I have in front of me, it says the following. The Lord our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he wants to. The Lord our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he wants to. Now, I don't know about you, but the very first time I read the scripture, it was like a jolt in my stomach. God does whatever he wants to. There is absolutely nothing you can do or say that could manipulate God. The plans are his. The purposes are his. The agendas are his. The Lord God is in the heavens and he does whatever he wants to. And allow me to say this morning that the very first and most critical element of waiting upon the Lord, is realizing that the Lord does whatever he wants to. It's an incredibly harsh statement. It's, I mean, it sounds, uh, I don't want to lie to you, it, it goes against everything that, that is part of my human nature. We're living in an age, saints, where people perhaps think that if I fast for 40 days, I can manipulate God. We're living in an age where People are starting churches on the premise that if 
I give a certain amount, I can manipulate God. But the Bible is clear here. It says the Lord God is in the heavens and he does whatever he wants to. That implies to us this morning, saints, that the very first element of getting into a relationship with God is understanding that it is God who is in charge of the relationship. That the relationship is not based on our agendas, our thoughts, our ideas and desires, even though those are very important to God. But the very first element is understanding that it is God that is in charge of the relationship. We need to understand what the hierarchy is in the spiritual world before we can engage upon anything else. It's difficult to wait upon the Lord, saints, because we do not understand that it is about the will of God. Beyond anything we desire, think, or would want to happen. Our Lord God is in the heavens and he does whatever he wants to. And the reason why I'm I'm pointing this out, it might seem quite obvious, but one of the greatest benefits of being a Christian is the fact that we've got freedom. The Bible says, now the, now, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is emancipation from bondage. Now, what we have done, or what the devil has, has tricked us into thinking, is that once we've got that freedom, that freedom equals equality with God, but it doesn't. We are free to act, we are free to walk. The free will of God is a gift from God. But that free will does not make us equal to God. That free will does not make us equal to God. The Lord God is sovereign. The Lord God is in charge. The Lord God controls the agendas, the times, and the seasons. Jesus Christ says the following, you know, when when he engages with the Pharisees. He says, I do only what I see my father doing. Not that I don't have the capacity to do anything I want to do. Not that I don't want to go where I want to go. But I understand that the center and the foundation of this relationship is me doing only what I see my father doing. And like I said, it's, 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 it's difficult. I can be honest with you. It's, it, it, it hurts me as much as it might be hurting you. You listen to me this morning. The Lord is sovereign. He is the one that is in charge. He is the one that is in charge. I mean, let's think for a split second about the story of Adam and Eve. The Bible says that the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve was beautiful. In fact, it says during the cool of the day, they would walk together. There hasn't been a group of people alive on earth that have been as free as Adam and Eve were. God, the Bible says, gave them the power to rule the Garden of Eden. In fact, he commanded them to multiply what was in the Garden of Eden. God was, got them so involved in his business and his, in his agendas that he even, you know, the Bible says, when it came to the naming of animals, he called them and said, come, Adam, come name these animals with me. This is how involved Adam was. And yet, even in that involvement, even in that, in that, in that purpose-driven life, even in that, in that engagement with God, the one thing that God wanted Adam to understand was, you are not my equal. I remain God, I remain sovereign, and my will remains true. Now, if we rush quickly to the book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, we realize that the temptation that the devil brought before Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis was a temptation of equality with God. So with all these blessings that were flowing through them, with all this work that the Lord was doing through Adam, the devil knew that the one temptation that could bring about a severance or destruction in the relationship between God 
and Adam and God and Eve and God and Adam and Eve as a family of God. The temptation to get into a relationship where the equality with God oversees subservience to the Lord. Now, if you read in the book, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis 3, verse 5, it says the following. This is what the devil said to Eve. The, the devil rather said to Eve. For God knows that on the day you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You'll be like God. You will be like God. And obviously, we, we, we all know, we're all familiar, if you went to Sunday school, what happened. They ate the fruit. And um, yeah, unfortunately, we were still reaping the results of what happened on that fateful day. The devil is continuously tempting us with an equality with God. And when you are waiting upon the Lord, when you're going through a season where you're waiting upon the Lord, that's able to manifest itself in so many ways. I remember personally, I mean, I'm in, I'm in business. I've been in business now for about four years. And I'll be honest with you, um, I think for about the first six months of business, I made absolutely nothing. Literally zero rands. I don't mean, you know, I'm not being figurative. I mean absolutely no rands at all. And what the devil then comes is he comes and tempts you and says, but if you eat from this tree of bribery, you can be like God. If you eat from this tree of theft and stealing and corruption, you can be like God. Why are you humbling yourself under the will of this God when you can just be like him and control these things? Everybody else is like God. Everybody else is manipulating the system. Everybody else is cheating. Everybody else is jumping over five or six walls of corruption to get where they are. What makes you any different? And in that context, I felt like Eve, you know, with the tree and the fruit in front of me. I don't know how many people would call me and say, look, we've got a deal for you. All you've got to do is meet that guy on that street corner at that ungodly hour. And you've got money in your bank account. I want us to be a bit real this morning. Perhaps if I'm being a bit real, you can just uh, rein me back a little bit. But that is the temptation that the devil tries to bring constantly. And I don't know what your individual circumstances are. But I can assure you that when you're in a time of waiting upon the Lord, the devil will come. And his primary temptation will be, you can be like God. You can take sovereign power over your life. You can manipulate the system. Who cares what anybody else thinks? You can manipulate the system. You can be like God. He's constantly trying to tempt us with that. But the very first, I don't want to say rule because it sounds a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit too claustrophobic for me. But the very first sense of understanding that we need to get when we're in a period of waiting upon the Lord, I don't know what it is that you're waiting for, is to understand and remind ourselves constantly that it is God who is sovereign. That it is God who is in charge. In fact, this sovereignty of God was so important that in the, book, in the Bible, in the, in the, in the book of, uh, excuse, my, uh, excuse my tongue there, but in the book of Luke chapter 11, the too many L's in that, in that sentence. In the book of Luke chapter 11, the Bible says the disciples come to Jesus Christ and they say the following. We've seen the disciples of John the Baptist praying, Lord, please teach us how to pray. Now, obviously, if, if you want something that somebody has, it implies that, you know, in my mind at least, that when the disciples of John were praying, they, their prayers were being answered. So they could see them praying for people, people getting healed, and so on and so forth. And they run to Jesus and say, Jesus, 
Just like John taught his disciples, teach us how to pray. Now, we're all familiar with this, with this, with this prayer of the Lord. But it jumped out at, at me as I was meditating upon the Lord. Listen to what Jesus Christ says. He says, when you pray, say the following. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Before we get to the bread and the forgiving of others and the school fees and uh, what, 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 what else are we worried about? And the economy and the government and um, I don't know, what, what other issues are we worried about? He says, before you even get to that, remember the following. The Lord God who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. As you wait upon the Lord, as you pray for this thing, as you ask God for deliverance or for the manifestation of this thing, remember the following. The Lord God who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. The Lord God who art in heaven does whatever he wants to. So before you get to the bread and everything else, remember and understand that his name needs to be honored. And then he talks about the bread, give us today our daily bread and all these beautiful things that we all need, uh, probably me more than anybody else. But right at the end, he says the following, he reminds them again, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So any waiting upon the Lord that does not involve an acknowledgement of the Lord's sovereignty, of the Lord being in charge, of the Lord being in control, is not a waiting upon the Lord. I want to say that again. Any waiting upon the Lord that does not place the Lord at the center of the waiting is not a waiting upon the Lord. Amen. You guys look a little bit too somber for my liking. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Now, in addition to that, the first step, as I said, is the acknowledgement that the Lord is sovereign. Now, once you've acknowledged that the Lord is sovereign, it doesn't and shouldn't end there. Because the next step, and this is, this is the part that, that probably is, is, is more difficult than anything else, is yielding to the sovereignty of God. Because it's one thing to understand, it's one thing to understand that the Lord God is sovereign. Thank you, man. It's one thing to understand that the Lord is sovereign. But it's something completely different to yield to that sovereignty. Amen. Now, there are a number of reasons why, from a practical perspective, we are not able to yield to the sovereignty of God. And one of those is simply because, and, and I think this applies to me more than anybody else in this room, many a time, we are convinced that the ideas that we have for ourselves, that the dreams that we have for ourselves, that the passions that we have for ourselves are bigger than anything that God could ever imagine. So the sovereignty of God is going to stifle my passions. It's going to stifle my desires. So if I come before the Lord and I say, all right, Lord, this is what I need from you, but your will be done. That your will be done, in my mind, sounds almost like you're diluting the dream. Saying, all right, God, I want to run 100 kilometers, but your will be done. Therefore, I'm only going to run 50 kilometers. The limiter. That's what he does. It's just a limiter. You know? 
to go back to what I was saying a bit earlier, because when, when we use words like God is sovereign, in our minds, we think of dictators. We think of Hitler. We think of somebody that's there telling you, you can't jump there, you can't go there, you can't do this, you can't say that, you're not good enough for that. What we do is we take our personal experiences with people who are in leadership and we apply those experiences to God. So because somebody might have oppressed me at work when I decided to humble myself under my manager at work, when I come before the Lord and I pray and I say, all right, Lord, let me humble myself, in my mind, whatever attributes, whatever weaknesses, whatever limitations my manager might have had at work, I then apply them to God. And I think, right, if that leader limited me, if that leader was oppressive to me, if I say, God, let your will be done, then as I said a bit earlier, if I want 100, I'm only going to get 50. And what that does a lot of times is it leads us into despondency. It leads us almost to, to a depressive state, you know, where you think, ah, wow, what have I got myself into here? I've given my life to God and now he's in charge. Which means I'm never going to drive that car. I'm never going to live there. I'm never going to do that because now God's in charge. and God's controlling everything. And because he controls everything, everything that, you know, that I want isn't going to happen. And that, that's one of the tricks of the devil. Because what he does is he manipulates us around the nature of God. I mean, let's read quickly in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. I want us to read it together. So I'll give you a couple of seconds to get there. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says the following. Now, to him who is able to carry out, and I'm reading it in the Amplified Version, carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams according to his power that is at work within us. Let me read that again. It says, now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams according to his power that is at work within us. Saints, I can assure you this morning that there is absolutely nothing that you could ever dream or desire for yourself that could ever exceed the dreams and the desires of God for your life. There is absolutely your wildest imaginations to the, to the zenth element, right? I'm, I'm talking right to the very edge of where your imagination ends, could never exceed the super abundant plans that the Lord has for you. Because we think yielding to sovereignty means limitation, when it actually means the direct opposite. Yielding to God's sovereignty actually means yielding to something greater than yourself, to plans that are greater to, than yourself, to desires that are greater for yourself. The Bible says he does super abundantly more than all that we could dare ask or think for. So when I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, I want to pray for this, X and Y, because I'm limited by my circumstances, because I'm limited by my thoughts, because I'm limited by my experiences, the Holy Spirit then comes, because the Bible says, because we do not know how to pray, the Holy Spirit then comes and perfects our prayers and brings them to the Lord in such a manner 
that when they are manifested, they are super abundantly, greater than anything we could ever ask, wish, think, a silly example. But I said a couple of weeks um, when I was leading the church that my daughter is unfortunately currently addicted to ice cream. She's two and a half years old, and anybody who's ever had a two and a half year old understands that the ice cream addiction is one of the greatest challenges that we have in this country. We need to, <laughs> yeah, we need to come together, um, visit creatures. I think we can start in Centurion, and then the Bible says to the ends of the earth. But just dealing with this addiction of ice cream. Now, the only thing that is on my daughter's mind when she looks at me is this person is able to give me ice cream. I've seen him do it before. He does it often. So if I ask him, beg him, cry, this person will get me ice cream. But as a parent, my mind, I mean, I'll use an example. About two or three evenings ago, my wife and I had, had dinner with, with friends. And my, I mean, my daughter's two and a half, but I, was, we, I think we probably spent half that conversation talking about schools in the area. Because as a parent, my mind is way beyond the ice cream. My mind is way beyond. My daughter could never imagine anything for herself right now that could exceed the plans, desires, and the patience that I have for her as a parent. And I mean, I'm not a perfect parent, but even in my limitations, my daughter could never, because in her mind, all she sees is ice cream. And isn't it interesting that we do the exact same with God, the exact, the exact same thing with God? We're like, God, ice cream, God, ice cream, God, ice cream. Here, two minutes, two seconds. I'm struggling with this. You know, that one's irritating me. That one, we're here. But a good parent is thinking far beyond that, far beyond that, far beyond that. In my mind, I'm already thinking, how do I stretch my budget, put some money aside so that when she goes to university, she's able to, you know, to attend classes without worrying about tuition fees. That's what a good parent is doing. Because a good parent is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, more than what we could dare, ask, or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers or hopes. So when you wait upon the Lord, and when you yield to the sovereignty of God, you move from an ice cream level of thinking. Perhaps, I think that's what I'll call my book, the day I've arrived. Moving from an ice cream level of thinking. We move from an ice cream level of thinking to a super abundant level of thinking. I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, this is, this is my five-year plan for my life. This is what I want to do for my life. But I know you're able to do super abundantly. Therefore, let your will be done. Because I know your will is greater. I know your will is stronger. I know your will is more powerful than anything I could ever imagine for myself. Jesus Christ says, you know, just after teaching his disciples how to pray in the book of Luke chapter 11, he says, you being bad fathers... Who among you, if your child asks for an egg, would give him a, a snake? I mean, even in our limited minds, even in our, in our depraved thinking sometimes, if my daughter asks me for, for, ask me for ice cream, I'm either going to say no, or I'm going to give her the ice cream. I'm not going to give her, you know, a snake, <laughs> to, use the Lord's, to use the Lord's analogy. So when we understand, number one, that the Lord is sovereign, and that number two, when we yield ourselves to his sovereignty, then we actually enter from an ice cream level of thinking. I, I, love, I love that. From an ice cream level of thinking to a sovereign Lord level of thinking. Because the plans of the Lord are not limited by budget constraints. They're not limited by mental constraints. 
They're not limited by time. They're not limited by space. The Lord comes to Abraham and says the following. He says, you know, Abraham was probably in the same um, ice cream type of thinking. He says, Lord, if you can just give me one child, this is all I want. Just give me one. I'm getting old. I'm about to die. My slaves are going to inherit what I have. Can you just give me one? I, get, I mean, the Bible is, is, is quite politically correct sometimes. You know, it says, and Abraham prayed for, 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 for X or Y. But I can imagine the passion and the sadness. God, just give me one. Just please, just one. I mean, Johnny has ten, Michael has five. All I'm asking for is just, just one, just one. And the Lord says to him, be still and know. Because as many as are the stars in the sky, super abundantly, as many as there are grains of sand, that is the amount of determinants I'm going to give you. For now, I need you to wait upon me. I'm working things out. But the final result is going to be much greater than the one child that you think you're begging me for. Now, I don't know what that one child might be to you this morning. Perhaps you've been waiting for a job for, for the longest time, applying, 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 and nothing's coming. Perhaps you've been waiting for a literal child. But I can assure you that the plans that the Lord has for you are super abundantly, beyond anything that you could ever imagine, think, or ask for. And if that's the only thing that you remember from what I said this morning, I would have done my job. The Lord's thinking is super abundant. I mean, I love that term. It's super abundant, beyond Anything we could, we could ask, wish, or think, for, think of, rather. Amen. Now, in closing, I want to deal with four practical elements of waiting upon the Lord. So, in other words, what are the benefits of waiting upon the Lord? If you're going through this season right now, where you've been waiting for something, it's important to understand what the Lord is doing in this season and what the Lord is trying to achieve in this season. Amen. Firstly, what the Lord is doing is he's strengthening you and bringing about a revelation of your true character. The Lord is strengthening you right now. He's busy strengthening you and bringing about a revelation of your true character. Think about a mirror for, for a split second. Now this morning I could assume that every single one of us hopefully um, would have looked at themselves in the mirror before they went to church. Now, the mirror is an incredible thing because what, what, what a mirror does, I mean, is, is probably one of the most honest jobs on the face of the earth because a mirror cannot lie. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what the linguists say. So if I go and I stand in front of the mirror and there's something in my head, there's a feather in my head, the mirror will say, Amu, there's a feather in your head. You're about to go stand up on stage and preach to people, get rid of that feather, otherwise people are going to be distracted. But on the flip side, even if something is positive, if there is no feather on my head, the mirror says, dude, you look great. All the best. And that's what waiting upon the Lord, that's what the season does. It functions like a mirror. Because it says to you, there are certain elements and weaknesses in your life that you didn't know about that God is trying to get rid of. There are certain limitations, there are certain things that you might have thought I've perfected. This is what King Solomon says. He's a bit harsher than I am. He says, a man or a person who is weak in times of trouble is weak indeed. Because everybody is strong when things are good. But a person that is weak when times are tough, that person is weak indeed. And a person that is strong when times are tough, that person is strong indeed. 
And that's what the Lord is doing. The Lord is forcing you to look at this mirror and get rid of the feathers in your head and get rid of the weaknesses and get rid of the lying if lying is a problem and get rid of the stealing if the stealing is the problem and get rid of the impatience and get rid of all those things that are holding us back. Because the Lord wants us, you know, in such a manner that when we get to the manifestation of our results, that we're able to stand and not be swayed by the thing that God has given us. The Lord wants you so strong. I mean, think think about King David for, for, for a split second. King David went through so much trial and turmoil so that by the time he was anointed and he became king, he was able to be a king after God's heart. But before that, the Bible says David had to fight the babe and David had to fight the lion and David had to fight Goliath. Why? Because the Lord was weeding out all of the negative elements so that by the time he ascended the throne, he was able to stand. You know, the Bible, the Bible says something in the book of Proverbs. This is what King Solomon says. He says, it is a travesty and it is quite sad when it is slaves that are riding on horses and the kings are walking on foot. Now, what he's saying in that instance is there are people currently who are in positions of power who have not been trained for those positions of power. And we see the results of those positions of power. Because no one ever forced those people to look at themselves in the mirror during the filtering process. And now they're right at the top and we can all see the feathers in the head. We can all see there is a feather on your head. Please remove it. But because no one forced them during the the training process or the preparation process to be forced to look at themselves in the mirror, that feather that's on their head is now manifesting itself. And that's the first thing that the Lord is doing. If you're going through a difficult time this morning, God, God, God is perfecting your character. God is saying, look at yourself. Ask yourself, am I the person that I want to be when I get to where I'm trying to get to? Am I the person that God wants, to, God wants me rather to be when I get to the place where I'm trying to get to? Now, once again, like I said, the Bible is a bit more harsh than I am. But listen to what you know, the Apostle Peter says. He says, just as silver and gold are tested by fire, so too shall your faith be tested. Just the silver and gold. If you think about that beautiful diamond that you, that you hold that's worth hundreds, millions, sometimes even billions of dollars, depending on how rare it is, that thing had to go through an incredible amount of fire. An incredible amount of fire. An amount of fire that would just literally, and I mean this literally, not figuratively, blow our heads off. And today you walk into an American Swiss or a Stearns and you come in and you say, look, I'm looking to get married. And they say, look, for one hundredth of this diamond, we want a hundred thousand rands. Because it's gone through a process. It's been tested and it's been proven and it's standing. Amen. The second thing that the Lord is trying to do is he's trying to give you a personal testimony and a personal revelation. Listen to what Job says in the book of Job chapter 42 verse 5. He says, Lord, In the past, I knew you only through what others told me about you. But today, I myself have seen you. The Lord is fine with you memorizing what happened to David. He's fine with that. The Lord has no problem with you quoting Gideon having done that and the Apostle James having done that and so on and so forth and Peter having walked on water. But I can assure you that the Lord is looking to give you a personal testimony. The Lord is looking to give you a personal story. 
I mean, I quoted Job a bit earlier, but it's incredible because if you read in the book of Job chapter 1, the Bible says, you know, it, 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 it talks about a, a conversation between God and the devil. And in that conversation, I mean, God is literally waxing lyrical about Job. He says, ah, oh, Job, have you seen my servant Job? He's incredible. I mean, he's just, I mean, even his soccer skills. I mean, that's, I can imagine just God going, I mean, really, his fashion sense, his soccer skills. I mean, he's just incredible. When he sings, ah, oh, the angels just melt. And then he goes into a season of waiting, a difficult season of waiting, an impossible season of waiting, one might say that. And then at the end, Job himself comes for the Lord and says, Lord, shucks, I know I was great, hey, but I was only great because I heard what you did for other people. But today, I've got my personal story. I've got my personal story. I've got something that I can stand on. When the storms come, I've got something that I can personally stand on and say, I remember in this year, in 2019, God did this for me. And even if it's sometimes difficult to read the Bible or sometimes difficult to listen to the preacher when he preaches, but I remember that thing that happened to me in my own little corner and in my own little space. And because of that, I'm going to stand. And because of that, nothing will shake me. Today, I myself, that's what the Lord is trying to do. The Lord is trying to give you a personal testimony. He's trying to give you a personal story, one that is unique to your circumstances, one that is unique to your experiences. And then thirdly, we're almost at the end, the third thing that the Lord is trying to do, and I think Esther touched on it a little bit, is not only is he trying to give you your own personal story, but he's trying to give you a story that you can use to benefit others. Because there are many people that are going to walk the same path that you've walked. There are many people that are going to face the exact same experiences and the exact same headaches, and they're going to think it's impossible. And the Lord is looking for somebody to stand up and say, yes, I was in the exact same position, but I stood. And because I am standing, you're able to stand. I mean, let's read quickly in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, and verse 3 to verse 4. Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 4. It says the following. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts and encourages us in every trouble. So he gives us our own personal testimony. So that we will be able to comfort and encourage those who are in any kind of trouble with the same comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. I want to read that again. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts and encourages us in every trouble so that we will be able to comfort and encourage those who are in any kind of trouble with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The season that you're going through the Lord is trying to build an arsenal. The Lord is building an army of experiences. So that when those who come, because we're talking about expansion, we're talking about reaching the ends of the world. And every Sunday, people are going to come in here with experiences that are very similar to your experiences. And they're looking for that light that will shine to say, look, that challenge that you're going through, that sickness, that poverty, that, that addiction that you're going through, I've been through it. And I'm standing. 
That thing that people are telling you is impossible to overcome, I've overcome it. I'm, I'm living proof of what the Bible talks about. You, you know, because without, 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 without stretching the issue too far, if you think about what the Bible is, in simple terms, without being theological, the Bible is a summary of people's experiences with God. That's what it is, in simple English. It is a summary of people's experiences with God. And every time you read their experience, I'm not the first person to be cast away. I'm not the first person to lack money. I'm not the first person to be sick. Because I've got a summary of experiences that the Lord is using to comfort me. And allow me to say, over and above the verses and the chapters in the Bible, the Lord is looking to add us to that summary of experiences. He's looking to add us to that summary of experiences. So that by the time God is done with us, there are so many experiences that there isn't a, there, there isn't a single loophole that the devil is able to get into. Because every time I fall, if I fall to my left, somebody says, hey, I, I remember falling on my left three years ago. This is how I did it. If I fall to my right, hey, I've seen that happen before. It happened to Mike. It happened to John. Can I call Mike and John to come speak to you? Because he's been through this. Don't give up because we've got a summary of experiences. Both in the church, talking about Grace Covenant, but also in the universal church of God. The Lord is building an arsenal of summaries. You know, a summary rather of experiences that are going to benefit others. And then lastly, we're going through this experience of waiting because the Lord wants to remind us always that this earth is not our final end. And I think sometimes we forget that. The Bible says, remember always that you are citizens of heaven. Remember always that you are waiting for the second coming of the Lord. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 18, I consider that none of the sufferings we suffer now can compare to the glory that awaits us when the Lord is revealed. The Lord wants us constantly to be reminded that this is not our end. That this is not our end. That there is a reward much greater than money, much greater than prestige, much greater than cars, much greater than positions that is waiting for us when the Lord will be manifested. The Bible says we'll be caught up into glory with him and we'll reign for him forever. Reign with him rather forever. And that's what the Lord wants to remind us. And saints, this is what the Lord has put in my heart this morning. You might be going through an extremely difficult time. And believe you me, I think anybody that's ever faced a challenge will know the worst thing that somebody could ever do is to try and dilute what you're going through. What you're going through might be heavy. It might be impossible. It might be something that you've struggled with for years. It might be something that you think, ah, I give up. I can't do this anymore. But, you know, as the linguists say, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But allow God to work you through this process. Allow God to build you. Allow God to use this experience. Don't waste this time. Don't waste this experience of perfection. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Whatever it is that you're waiting for, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Allow God. Say, God, I know that you will answer because your promises are yes and they are amen. And I know that in the end, I will receive what it is that you have promised me. But in the meantime, perfect me, Lord. In the meantime, prune me. In the meantime, perfect me. Such that when I reach that, when I get to that position, when I drive that car, when I live in that house, when the Lord has placed me on that stage, that I'm strong and I'm able to stand. And that none of these things will ever separate me from the love of God. Amen. And that is the word that the Lord has put in my heart this morning. That is the word that the Lord has put in my heart this morning. And I want to pray for us this morning. I just want to pray for us. And I just want to pray, you know, regardless of what it is that you're going through, I think 
my friend Mike touched on it a bit earlier today. Let us remember that the Lord is sovereign. He's in charge. And that secondly, because he's in charge and because we've engaged with him, we are then linked to his super abundant thoughts and passions for our lives. And that whatever it is that we're praying for, the result will be much better than what it is I would have asked for. Because God is super abundant in that instance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the gracious name of our Lord and our Savior, Lord God, we thank you for ministering to us this morning. We thank you for speaking us to us this morning and reminding us that you are in charge, Lord. That you are sovereign, that you are in control. And that all we need to do is just rest in your presence, Lord. We don't have to fight these battles on our own. We don't have to conjure schemes and patterns which will cause us to, to, you know, to reach the destination much quicker than, we, than we're supposed to, Lord. But our job is to rest in you. Our job is to rest in your sovereign God who does whatever he wants to. And what he wants to do is super abundantly, much greater than what we could ever dare, ask, wish, think or hope for, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, Father, facing different experiences. Those who are currently going through a waiting period, Lord, I pray that you would perfect them, Lord. Help them to look at themselves in this mirror of your word, in this mirror of experience and say, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me in this season? What is it that you're trying to prune and perfect in this season? So that when I get to the final result of, of my prayers and my wishes and my desires, I'm strong and I'm able to stand. Lord, we thank you. We honor you in the gracious name of our Lord and our Savior. Thank you, Lord. Amen.